we are going to be talking about two games that were once broken and why one is like amazing now and one is still broken. You may not think that cyberpunk and Pokemon have a lot in common, but that's what happened to both of these games. (laughs) Uh, Were broken, may still be broken. Uh, It is remarkable to look back at the paths that these two games have taken and either inspiring or disappointing, depending on which one you want to play. So we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper in our big main topic today. Yeah, it is unfortunate for some for one of these games and, and really incredible for another. We're big fans of both games. So we're like positive, you know, we have positivity rooting for both to succeed. But uh, yeah, it is really interesting to just dissect the situation a little bit more. Um, as always, everything that we do on this channel is made possible by our beautiful, wonderful, 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 I can't say enough wonderfuls, Patreon family. They are the best. They keep all of this going. And we love them so much. If you think, well, I watch every video that Kit and Krista puts up on their YouTube channel. I watch the podcast. I watch Super Kit and Krista 64. I watch everything in between. You might think, well, I see, I see it all. Let me tell you, friend, not the case. Uh, We also record a weekly behind the scenes, which we are going to record after we wrap this up. Those always go out on a Monday, give people a little taste of what's going on, a little glimpse into what's going on with the two of us as well. They're a lot of fun. And those are available exclusively to our Patreon subscribers. That's right. And we also have our exclusive bonus Q&As that we answer all the juicy questions from our Patreon family. And of course, our Discord community, which we continue to hear is like the best community people has ever been a part of. So we're so grateful for that. And we have so much fun hanging out every day in our Discord with our wonderful Patreon family. So if you would like to join us, we are at patreon.com slash Kit and Krista. Please do. Now, you are still in China, and I want to hear all of the hot details of that. But first, Uh-oh. I need to uh, say something slightly ominous to you, which is Shocktober is now upon us. It's true. For those of, those of you who don't know what Shocktober is, we, <laughs> we, we've coined and uh, patented this term. We have not patented this term, but we've coined this term because October has really become like one of the busiest months of the year. It was definitely like this when we were at Nintendo. And I think it continues to be like this regardless of where you are. So that is why Shocktober is upon us. Dun, dun, dun. It's definitely that and the month leading up to E3 are the two hardest months we would ever have to work at Nintendo. And I remember we had sort of a team meeting and you crossed out on our boss's little calendar, not it's not October, it's Shocktober. And he did not he, like this. He did not like this. He did but not like But he chose like me. not to accept the truth. He had, yes, he pulled the wool over his eyes. I was trying to be a bearer of truth so that we could face the hard month together as a team. He, he did not like that, and he didn't like me. So anyways. <laughs> so salute to all the good uh, game industry professionals who are trying their darndest to get through Shocktober. Um, yes. I say the same for all of us who are just trying to play all the games that are coming out in the middle of Shocktober. That's not easy. Yeah, Gosh. It's, it's so true. I mean, I can't believe in a few short weeks we'll have both Spider-Man and Super Mario Wonder. That's and be Sonic a- Superstars. Wow. wow. It's really going to be a doozy. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to get through it. I know you're going to prioritize Sonic, so good for you. Um, but yes, it's going to be it's going to be a month, guys. So let's hold on to our butts and see what happens. Now, 
Enough of that nonsense. What has been going on in your wonderful hometown in China since we last heard from you? Yeah, I'm still here. Literally in the same place. Actually, I this today is my last full day in oh. Chengdu. I'm about to jet off tomorrow morning to Singapore for a couple of days. And then on Friday of this week, I fly back home. So this wonderful trip is about to come to an end. But um, it's been really awesome. I, I think I stayed the right amount of time here in my hometown because I was just able to very leisurely catch up with everybody and see my family. And yeah, that, that's pretty much all I've been doing for the last couple of weeks here is um, just hanging out with my family members and and spending time with my grandmother. And yeah, it's, it's great to go around the city and see all the things that have changed. There's been so many huge changes here in Tundu. Like they've built so many beautiful places. I'm like, when did this happen? Like, you know, in the US, we can't build anything. Like it's impossible. And like, especially in like California, we've been trying to build that stupid train or whatever from San Francisco to LA for like 12 years, maybe more than 12 years. And I was joking around with my, one of my uncles and I was like, you know, it's been four years since I've been to Tundu you guys have went, you've gone from four subway lines to 18 subway lines Whoa. in those four years. The city's connect, completely connected by the underground now, which is amazing. The underground is so clean and so nice. And then I was like, yeah, we have zero subway lines <laughs> that, that are new and, and no trains to LA. He was like, why? Um, so it's just cool to see all the, like the big developments here because they've, they've not stopped <laughs> building stuff. Um and doing things. So it's just like every time I come back here, I'm like, oh, this city is so, so different than when I remember it a few years ago. So it's been great. Well, you're doing the wise thing uh, on the last day of you visiting your family who you've not seen for many years by uh, recording a podcast alone with me in your hotel room. So thanks for that. <laughs> well, I did do all my big goodbyes last night. So I actually, today's my free day. I, I, I'm not oh. seeing anybody. I'm going to see my grandmother one last time today and just pop over. Um, but everybody else, uh, they're, they have to, you know, go back to work and, and all that stuff. People have lives. They can't just hang out with you all day. So, um, actually worked out perfectly and yeah, and it's all, it's very early here. So there's that too. And if people want to see what it's been like, uh, on your trip and specifically what you've been doing with gaming, we have a great yeah. vlog that is now out on the channel, a wonderful counterpoint to the video I made when I was in Taiwan. You have done your own vlog gaming around China. I did. Yeah. It's a, it's probably up now by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, but I made a really fun video. I also am like a newbie when it comes to gaming in China. So I'm, I'm discovering what it's like alongside all of you guys. I feel like though, I need to come back here and do another one because there might be more stuff that I'm just not, I just need to dig below the surface a little bit. One thing that I didn't get to see that I've been noting um, on some of like the social media platforms here or like just talking to people is they do have these like gaming rental rooms that are very interesting. So you know how like um, if anyone's ever gone to like karaoke with their friends, you can rent out a little room and you and your friends can do karaoke together, like in private. Um, 
I know we have that in the U.S. They definitely have this that in China. But I think the new thing is to rent out these like little living rooms that are themed out. Like I saw one that was like a picture of one that was themed out to be all Kirby stuff or themed out to be all, you know, Mario Kart stuff. And I think the idea is that you rent it out for a couple hours and like hang out with your friends and play games. So I want to next time when I come back here, I want to look into that. A little and you bit didn't more. go to this? I didn't. I don't know how. What? Like, I don't know where they are. Too I don't late know. to update this video. I don't know with how the Kirby to do room? it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know. You show up he, with money. That's how you do it. It's hard. You don't. I don't speak. I mean, like, I can't read anything. It's like I don't know. I I feel like that's one thing that they do here that maybe I have not experienced yet. Um, but anyhow, I did. I did see and discover a lot of other cool things about what video games are like in China. Um, so that video is up. And then I'm on, like I said before, I'm on my way to Singapore. So I'm going to poke around there as well and um, do a little mini portion in Singapore as a Patreon exclusive. So that will be fun too. I am going to be the toxic friend and say that now both of our videos are out. People can say which one they like better. Uh, oh. It's probably going to be mine, but you definitely need to watch Krista's to know, to be sure, right? Why would it be yours? It just is. But why? Because I'm the one saying it. But of course, I'm going to say if I like mine. <laughs> well, why can't you say that you like mine and I like? I can say I that love I like yours you. a lot, but I just like mine a little bit better. Just really? Are you being serious right now? That's mean. <laughs> <laughs> you won't know until you get back. Why? You can be angry and resentful until you get back. I got I'll main thing to say. Yeah. Ugh. We've reached that point in the trip of you being gone for three weeks. You're gonna mad take at some, me. I gotta take some shots where I can, you see? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't do anything. Well, we can't wait to hear <clears throat> more about that. Our next episode, we will be back in person. Yes. We will be back in person, so that's exciting. Uh, we are about to get into uh, the games that we are playing, which are many and very fun. But first, we gotta say this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Thank you to our great sponsor, BetterHelp. Yay. Thank you, BetterHelp. There are a lot of times in life where you know what's good for you, but your brain gets in the way of you doing that and takes you down a path of the thing that you shouldn't do. I think we have all experienced this to some degree in our life. Yes, I experienced this a lot, actually, with the especially with trying to fall asleep at night. You have like your to do list, like your checklist in your mind, and you know that you're never going to get through this to-do list tomorrow if you don't get a good night's rest, but your brain just won't turn off. That can be very stressful and you're, you're really getting in your own way. And I think that's where a better help therapist can really help you like work through some of that and, and ease some of those thoughts out of your mind and, and give you some, you know, even, you know, really actionable ways to like help yourself, you know, come out of those kind of situations. That's right. And uh, it's so easy to get matched up with a BetterHelp therapist. We've both done it. Uh, you take a brief uh, questionnaire where you tell them a little bit about what you want to focus on and what your priorities are. You get matched up very quickly with somebody and all your interactions are entirely online. You can do them through video. You can do them through audio. You can even do them through chat. And you are in control of how those meetings go and uh, who your therapist is. So it's very much uh, with you in control and, and really learning more about yourself and, and how to take control of your old brain. 
Yeah, and I've been traveling a lot, and this is such a flexible option when you're traveling. You're able to, you know, I have a weird time difference right now, but I'm able to work that out with my therapist, and so that's been great. Not to have to pause that for you know many many weeks while I'm traveling and on a different schedule. So very flexible, very easy, and really great that you can have some kind of conversation, some kind of engagement with your therapist. A- Ton of different ways. I love that. Hey, Doc, you up? <laughs> Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Kit and Krista today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Kit and Krista. We'll put the link right over here and also in the description below. All right, let's get into these games we are playing. We have to start with the hot Baldur's Three Gate. Baldur's Gate Three updates. This game has consumed our lives. Continues to consume our lives. It definitely has continued to consume our lives. But I think I have hit a point where I actually do need to come home to continue this game. And it's not because my PlayStation Remote Play stopped working. It's still working just fine. Shockingly. I'm able to log into my account. I've been doing it for over two weeks now, which is amazing. I've not fat fingered my way to turning off my PS5, which is good. Still time. Um, this, I mean, now I'm not going to play it anymore. But um, so I'm actually over the over the hurdle of the fear of fat fingering it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm do. I was doing great. I got to the area that you were in, which is like that kind of cave dark underground pass that you have to go through to get to the next area. And now I just I literally, this is going to make me sound so old, but I just can't see it. Like it's too tiny. My phone screen, I don't have the big iPhone. I have like the normal sized iPhone. I can't, it's too dark. I've like, I've turned the brightness up. I'm like looking at it like this. I can't see anything. Yeah. That's my problem now is that I literally, I cannot see it. So I might have to go home and play the rest. I know exactly where you are. That is a tricky area and it is quite dark. I mean, you're in these caverns, so it makes sense, but it can be hard to know where you're going and, and navigate. So I, I, I can totally understand wanting to wait until you're back and, and you know, yeah. play it on a big screen TV. Like even when I was playing it on my TV, there were times where I really had to like squint and be like, where mm-hmm. is my next move going to be? Now, I do have a question for you, though, because you have a choice of paths that you can take to get to Act 2. One of them is down in the cavern. The other one is, like, through this mountain pass. Yeah. Why not do that? That dragon is really scary. Yeah, I, I know what I you mean. I, so, could, yeah. I don't think I could beat it, like, at all. Well, you're not so supposed to beat sweet. it. You're supposed to sneak. Be sneaky, I can't. right? I can't do it. It's you're, you're too hard. You're a light of foot, uh, elven lass, right? I mean... Right? I don't know. I don't think I mean, I I'm the big, chonky, um, super thick dwarf man, so I don't think it's going to happen for me. <laughs> what about everybody else? I don't know. Uh, I, just, I, I could change my mind and go up there because I just started the cave part. Maybe I could backtrack. I don't know. Maybe you could I'm try just, it, yeah. I'm, I was, like, very intimidated by the, the dragon. That's fair enough. Yeah, I um, – so that, that – kind of carries you into act two, which is also a very dark, tonally dark, almost yeah. horror themed area that I will say it was very different from act one. I don't think I liked it as much as act one. Mm, I appreciated okay. what it was trying to do and giving you a different flavor of story. And the story, 
there was sort of more of a very clear overarching story for that area, which I thought was cool. But it also has this mechanic, which is very similar to Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles in places where there's sort of a malaise in the air and you have to get this item that creates a protective bubble around you. So you kind of have to stick together and be careful about where you're going because you need to make sure somebody's got the little thing that's going to make sure that you don't um, get get in trouble going through that. So Mm -hmm. it was just a little less open and a little less feeling of like high adventure. Yeah. It did feel very ominous. Like things were just bearing down on you. There are some things that were like gross or scary or kind of creepy. I thought those were cool, but um, I, I have since moved on into act three, but you have that to look forward to. Okay. That sounds a little bit scary. I don't know if I love the horror comparison cause I'm not a horror game person. So hopefully I can get through that this next area without too much. I don't know too much of me just closing my eyes because I'm scared. Um, the other thing is really not game related, but the the backbone is, has been really awesome, but I'm kind of dumb. Like I, I don't uh, like, I can't remember the circle square X triangle because the buttons on that are mapped to an Xbox, right? Yes. And yes. I'm I know what so you mean. dumb. I'm like always like mashing the wrong button. I'm, I've like, ended my turn you know how you can end the turn so many times accidentally i'm like dang it um so that's my other problem is that i maybe i need to put like stickers on the buttons to make it the playstation controller or something they do have the playstation backbone i guess i'm the bad friend for giving you for free the wrong backbone it is your fault i'm the bad guy now it is your shame on me it is your fault I, I know now that it is your fault. So you get, so um, now that you're pre- kind of wrapped up with your time with it, you give the you give the backbone a thumbs up. I do love the backbone. Like it it feels so good to um to like it feels like very secure when you plug it into your phone and stuff and it's been working great. It's just that I I'm like confused <laughs> by the buttons. I'm always like wait, which one is X and square and circle. I don't know. Um, so I'm having a little bit of a hard time with that. But other than that, I think the backbone is amazing. So I really like it. Um, Who are the people in your party right now? I have uh, Asterion, which is the vampire guy. I have um, Shadowheart, which is like the cleric. And I have... It's like the orc lady, Lazale. Oh, Lazale. Lazale, yeah. I, I don't have her. her. I don't have her. I, I found I her dead body uh, along the way. I After trying, I really wanted to get her back. You cannot. Uh, not going to happen now. You didn't let her out of the cage and now you lost I her. didn't know how. I couldn't you, believe it. I can't believe that you did But that. then I found out there was actually another way that I could have gotten her back. So I failed oh. her twice. And now she then dead. That's she dead. Gone. Uh, what about what about that druid guy that joins you? Like that you find in the can you so that, can you add so him to your party? I have tried to talk to him and see I've not seen that option in I the dialogue. I haven't either. He's just sitting in my camp. And I'm like, I want you to join. I wanted to replace right. somebody. I understand with him. that he is romanceable, but Maybe maybe we just both did the wrong thing to get him to join the party, but yeah, he's he's hanging oh. out in the camp. But I cannot add him. I would I would you know I was so interested in the druid. I would have loved to do that, but it's not going to happen. Yeah, I was so disappointed because when I found him in that little goblin dungeon thing, I 
really was careful. I like read carefully, like, oh, I want him to, he's like, should I, you want me to join you or do you want me to just like leave and, you know, you can finish up the rest? I'm like, no, join me. And he did fight in my party for like a little bit. Oh. But then when he went to my camp, but it was like five people. He was just like attached. He was just like the bear. Oh. That was attached to the party. So I, I at one point I had five part like including myself, five party members. And then he went to the camp and I keep talking to him. Like I I'm like, how do I switch out somebody for him? And it wouldn't let me. Yeah. When I, I you know, you're supposed to find him in that castle. I never found him. <gasps> I tried really hard. I never found him, but then I got a message. Oh, he found his own way out and he's waiting for you at the camp. So maybe oh. we just did the wrong things and he's holding a grudge or something. But I yeah, I can't right I can't thing. choose him either. I found him. I helped him. I don't know. He was in a cage so, and everything. So my party is I have those same three, but instead of Lazale or however you say it, I have um Carlock, who is the sort of devil looking lady. She's a big oh. um, barbarian. And she's very useful in party, um, in my party. And she's got she's a, she's a pretty fun character. Got a really interesting backstory as well. So I've pr- I've really stuck with them for pretty much the majority of the game. Yeah. There were other spots where like the game, you know, maybe wanted you to add some people, but I sort of didn't. I did have a funny thing happen where I did. So I've yet to have any uh, of my desired romance outcomes happen, which sound very similar to my life. But <gasps> I did, I did have, I did have one unexpected thing where I, I, I woke up in the middle of your, you know, your long rest. My character like woke up and I saw one of the characters dancing in front of me, and that could have led to a romance option. I politely declined because I understand oh. that if you go down a path of romance with one character, the other characters might not like it. And oh. I was trying to go down the path with Shadowheart. I don't think it's going to happen. So I'm She's just going to be pretty. I'm just going to be loveless forever. Ew, alone in this why game. did you pick Shadowheart? Neither am I in this game. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I really want to have a relationship with a Druid. He won't have me. I'm such a, I'm a hot elf girl. Why not? Very desirable. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to watch to, to say that I watched, or oh, I didn't watch the whole thing. I sort of skimmed through this this two hour IGN video of all the romance options. <gasps> I'm like, I'm really missing out here. Oh I no! I can't believe it. I mean, I want to. I want to do the thing that. What am I doing having, wrong? That they promise in the trailer with the bear. Where is that? <laughs> Where is that romance? It's not fair. I'm on, I'm back in high school all over again. Nothing's going my way. <laughs> Stinks. Oh, oh no, a little little traumatized there, maybe. Yeah, a little trauma. Anyway, trauma. so now I'm in Act Three. I have not checked. I feel like this might be the last act. Those could be famous last words, and they could be like two other acts. I don't know. I know this game oh. very long, but this is back to more something more of a feel of of Act One, where oh, nice. I'm actually in and around the city of Baldur's Gate. If you don't know, oh. Baldur's Gate is not just the name of the game, it's the name of the city, this very big oh. city in the world um, of, of Dungeons and Dragons. So you kind of start on the outskirts and there's like, a, it's like a little suburb and uh, you work your way into the city. I finally got into the city. There's a lot you have to do to even get into the city. And they do a really good job of making it feel very bustling. A lot of times in games, even now, like there's like two people walking around and it's like, this you're you're trying to fool me that this is a big active city, but it's not. 
but this game really does like there's people everywhere. They're having conversations. Mm -hmm. You can talk to them. You can understand what's going on in their life and their world. And there's still more opportunities to poke around and, and find things that are unexpected that I, I found less of in Act 2. So I'm liking Act 3 a lot. And they do seem to be teasing that there's sort of the culmination of some of these big story arcs. Oh. Uh, especially like kind of side stories for some of my party characters as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll see if they actually are resolved or if it's just another like kick the can thing with the story. But I feel like I'm on the cusp of some big things happening. Did you get the thing out of your brain yet? <laughs> The worm? Uh, I'm into the worm. So no, I didn't. I like the worm. <laughs> That's true. You do have a worm update and you're now like, you're now like into having the worm, your character. So yeah. I, I have some new revelations about the worm, which I'm not going to share because they're probably <gasps> big spoilers. Oh. But <clears throat> I I think I'm sticking with the worm till the end. It probably spells bad news for me in the end. I'm probably going to get some bad ending where like the worm eats my brain or something, but I don't yeah. care. Yeah, like I said I, I, from day one, I'm just making these choices and living with it. Okay. I feel like I'm going to do the same. Like the worm and I have become symbiotic or whatever it's called. And there's some, there's Literally. some cool worm stuff that happens in your brain um, that I'm kind of into. So I'm, I'm going to stick with it too. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's gross, yeah, yeah. but it's cool. I give a quick D&D update because I'm just waiting for you to get back so that we can do this. Yes. I have purchased more things. So congratulations, uh, Wizards of the Coast or whoever owns uh, Dungeons & Dragons these days. You turned me into a complete sucker just buying everything. I have started (laughs) to find some really good YouTubers who I I really like click with and like. It's a very, it seems like a very welcoming community where they really want to help people get into this more. Um, There is one channel that I'll shout out if anybody's in the same case of, of wanting a very like gentle entry into this. It's called Bob the World Builder which oh, cool. I don't know if it's like a pun on like Bob the Builder, that like silly kid show, but Probably. Um, he's very helpful. He's got a lot of beginner oriented stuff. I continue to read every night, study so studiously for you. So I think we, I think we can do something um, when, when you get back and, and my expectations are so high. My expectations are so high for me so. or for you, for you, for you. Well, what about yourself? Look in the mirror. What do you mean? I, and I, know, I, I I know some people have said it would be fun if we recorded it. I think if we can find the time, I think we I think we should try and do that. I think, I think we should try. Fun. I think it'd be really fun. I can't wait. I'm like even if I we're terrible. I think that I think that's fun. That's the fun part. It's probably going to be a little rough, but um, I think that's the fun part. I think well, it's like fun to learn something new that we've both been really interested in, right. but haven't really like pulled the trigger on. So I have high expectations that you're going to be. A class A dungeon master, don't disappoint me. I'm very proud of myself. I had this realization. I'm very proud of myself for getting two new hobbies this year. One, monster trucks, two dungeons and dragons. <laughs> so again, I'm I'm a literally like a 12-year-old, but I like it. <laughs> I'm proud of, isn't that great? So it's great when you find a new thing that you can That's get true. excited about and you like. Like that that doesn't happen all the time. That's great. That's true. I agree. I think that it's always nice to like get out of your comfort zone and do something different. And it's great that video games have kind of been the spark for both of these new things that you've been getting into. So look at that. You're old, but you can still learn. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that I've been playing. So I I had a unfortunate misfire with, with my remote play. I actually did a little getaway this weekend myself. My remote play did not work. 
for reasons that are unclear to me, I had to do a password reset along the way. And I think that kind of mucked it up. So I did, however, bring with me my Playdate. And there's a new batch of Playdate games that just came out. And when they were kind of going through all of them on their social media, there was one that I immediately lasered in on. I'm not totally sure how to pronounce this. It's either Castle Tintagel or Castle Tintagel or something. I don't know. (laughs) T-I-N-T-A-G-E-L. But they have a great kind of positioning for what this is. They're calling it a classic vania, which means uh, a Castlevania game pre-Symphony of the Night. Obviously, Castlevania had a very big change in, in kind of what kind of game that was. But this is styled on those much earlier games. This feels so much like a long-lost Game Boy Castlevania game. And there were Game Boy Castlevania games, but I regret to inform you that they were not very good. Uh, This one is quite good. And it's been really fun to play a a new game in that style. It's kind of an underutilized genre, but it's so neat. And kind of what I've been wanting out of the Playdate for a little while is something that just had a little bit more substance to it. Does it have... um... Does it use the Playdate controls, like the little crank and all that stuff? So I was wondering that myself. And for the first little bit of my play session, I thought, no, this doesn't, which is fine. You know, if, it, if there's a game that just use buttons, then, then that's fine. But I got to a boss and I, uh, I had rescued one of my friends as part of that boss battle. And they were sort of standing on a balcony. And I reached a point where I injured the boss. And then my little friend said, oh, I will help you. And you had to aim their bow and arrow with the crank to finish it off. So that was kind of a neat way to do it. I was totally caught off guard. I was like, well, you want me to what, huh? How do I do this? Like, I would have appreciated like a little bit of a warning after, you know, 20 minutes of playing it without. But I thought that was a fun way to do it. Yeah, I don't think that, you know, every Playdate game needs to like hammer those controls, but it's nice when they have some kind of like inclusion for it. So that, that, that does feel pretty natural and, and fun. So yeah, yeah I'm going to tra- um, check this game out when I get back. I don't have my Playdate with me, so. Oh, good. I will say this game is pretty hard, but that's oh. very true to the classic Vania experience. They do have a few things um, where you can, give yourself more checkpoints or make the enemies uh, take a few less hits before they die. So that's appreciated um, because I, you know, I, my, my skills have atrophied to the point where I can't play those old Castlevania games as good (laughs) as I used to. So I've definitely been doing that. The music Castlevania fans will want to know is excellent. Um, The music in that first level, it's like, yes, they, they nailed this. They know what they're doing. So I don't know if I'm going to make it all the way to finish this game because it's very hard, but it was nice to, to, you know, get back on my plate it and have this great game. So I'm enjoying that. Nice. The other thing that I've been checking out is not a game at all, but I got sent the Genki Covert Dock 2, which I was not familiar with the Genki line of products at all, but they sort of make like gaming accessories and and sort of switch, switch focused accessories through Kickstarter. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll check these things out. Let's see what they are. So the the one thing that I was most excited for was this covert dock too. And it's like a very small, like travel oriented dock for your switch. So, you know, if you're going on a trip, um, you know, you, you probably have a TV wherever you're staying, but you might want to bring with you like the whole dock and on all of that setup. So what this is, it just looks like kind of like a, a like a good, 
you know, power, power thing that's about this big. You plug mm-hmm. it into a power socket and you plug the HDMI into that. And then it comes with a USB that goes from there into your switch. So it's, like I said, you know, very compact, very great for travel. And I tried it out, works completely fine. I couldn't tell any difference between the performance of that and the, you know, stock switch dock. The thing that's very exciting for me, though, is also works with the Steam Deck. And oh. I had been very curious about getting a Steam Deck dock. I did get sort of um, a USB like hub, but this is a bit more of a clean way to do it because I can just kind of leave it set up in that plug and, and have that ready to go. So that'll probably help me play more things on my Steam Deck on TV. And again, I tried that out as well. It's been working really well. So that's great. They just announced these last week. Um, again, they are on Kickstarter, but it looks like they hit the goal like within hours. So that'll be coming out um, eventually. They did also send me a couple other products that I haven't had too much chance to try out. But they're basically like, so, you know, for, for our game capture, we use an Elgato. Yeah. And some people like Elgato, some people don't. But this is basically, seems to be like an Elgato with higher end features and capabilities. So I'm actually, it's something that we could potentially use. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to check it out and, and see, you know, is it an easier experience than the Elgato? Um, a lot of people who are more knowledgeable about that stuff than I am say, yes, this is far superior to the Elgato. So that's great. So, you know, they have this whole new line of products um, and yeah, they seem really well-made and really, you know, seem seem like they solve specific needs if you have them. So yeah, that, that's the company is uh, Genki if anybody wants to check those out. Yeah, on this trip, I've really realized the value of having some of these accessories to help you keep up with your games while you're out. So it is kind of nice that there's, there seem to be more of these kinds of options available. Like, you know, obviously playing your games remotely or playing it through the cloud and stuff like that is like, I feel like is like the future. So having accessories to help um, just like have, you know, your game experience at home match the ones that you have when you're traveling is kind of nice. Like who would have thought that we'd be here now, you know? Yeah, it's nice. Again, it's not something that I, you know, I'm not going to make it my everyday dock because my dock is just right there under the TV yeah. and, and that's what it's made for. But for those, for those travel situations, it is, it is very handy to have because a lot of times I'm like, yeah, why would, I'm not going to pack the dock and, you know, the, the big power brick and, and all that. So it's very easy to just throw that in a suitcase and have it. So that's nice. All right. That is the stuff we have been playing. Let's move on to our big uh, lead topic of cyberpunk and Pokemon and what went right or wrong with all of those. So I should say cyberpunk is a game that we are not playing for yet another week, being very disciplined and focused on Baldur's Gate. But it does seem like people absolutely love this game now. They put out that big 2.0 update. The DLC is out. That is probably the thing I'm playing next, depending on when I finish Baldur's Gate and assuming that's not the same day that Mario Wonder comes out. But it's just it just made me think about how this game and Pokemon Scarlet and Violet started kind of in the same place of being released busted and from there went in totally opposite directions. It is so interesting to like look at this from that perspective and really dissect it a little bit more because I would even say that Cyberpunk had a harder hill to climb, mountain to climb, um, with 
when it first released and just the widespread, you know, negativity and disappointment around the game and how it's basically turned 180 is incredible. Um, and yeah, I'm like you, I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying not to have like the world's biggest case of FOMO because I really want to play this game. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's crazy that it's gone from, you know, an original Metacritic st- score of 57 to what it is now. Um, what a, what an incredible turnaround that was. So in case anybody can't remember everything that happened, I just sort of wrote down the two timelines for the games and I'll run through those so that, so that everybody can, can know what's happened, but especially for cyberpunk, it was really amazing to go blow by, by blow of what happened. And, you know, the game first came out in 2020, you know, we had a lot on our minds in 2020, but like you can make a movie out of this. Yeah, for sure. So let's start with Cyberpunk, and then we'll get on to Pokemon. So like I said, the game comes out December 2020, immediately gets widespread criticism for bugs and performance issues, mostly on the console versions. Remember, this this shipped after the PS5 and the Xbox series were out for the PS4 and the Xbox One. Kind of a baffling choice. I don't know why they stayed locked into that, but they did. And those versions were awful. Uh, Just for reference, the PS4 version had a Metacritic of 57. At the time, the PC version was quite a bit higher. I think it was in the 80s. So there was a pretty big gulf um, in between the two, even though the PC version had some issues too. Then the the shocking thing that happened, delisted from the PlayStation Store in December, the same month that it released, until June of 2021. So that's like seven months. And even when it did get relisted again, there was a major disclaimer that's like, this game may be busted. You're buying it at your own risk and so on. And in that period, you know, kind of immediately after it got delisted, both Sony and Microsoft were giving refunds for the game as well. So... You know, we know kind of that relationship between a first party, a platform holder, and the companies that are making games for it. And it's very delicate. And yes, Cyberpunk was a huge game. And yes, CD Projekt has a great track record. But this is some like major no coming back from it damage to that relationship. It's just hard for me to fathom. Yeah, I, I try to put myself in that place, you know, when we were at Nintendo, the relationship that we would have with third parties, um, that team that worked on those kinds of relationships closely and think about like those discussions and those meetings that would have happened, um, in this time. And it just turns your stomach. Like it just feels so awful to, I don't know, to just have to take such dramatic steps because, of what if you know kind of what a major fail this first version of the game was um yeah it's amazing that this relationship was able to like last through all of this because i just i mean, i have no I, I can't fathom like being in the room for those kinds of discussions and and having the platform holder come to that decision and 
Yeah. And, and basically you're going down a path of no return. And that just seems, that seems like crazy to me. So kind of as, as a reaction to that first wave of terrible things, CD Projekt apologizes, obviously their stock tanks and they start to receive all these class action lawsuits. So <sighs> it just keeps getting worse. And this, so this is where, you know, after this first wave, they do start to get their act together and it's a very long road, but they're starting to do things that are different when we, when we do the summary for Pokemon, you'll see, this is where the paths really diverge. Diverge, yeah. So they put out, this, this was also the era where we got the multiple statements on the bright yellow background that became very memeable. It's iconic. <laughs> yes, the bright yellow cyberpunk yeah. background with like the tiny text. And you're like, how many more of these are there going to be? But yes. <laughs> I came across a lot of these as I was doing my research, but they put out this very long apology from sort of the you know executive leadership team of CD Projekt. They said, we are going to have a year to years long roadmap for these fixes. Um, the management took responsibility for the poor state of the game at launch. They said, please do not blame any of our wonderful genius programmers this was our final decision. It was a bad decision, but it was a decision that we made and we are accountable for that. Very big, big statement. We know, you know, sometimes executives don't like to put themselves out and take blame like that. Uh, and then finally, critically, they say they will put out all of these free patches and fixes for the game before they released any new paid content. That is critical yeah. as we do this comparison. Yeah, it is so interesting how you can see the paths diverging in this moment. I think two things that really stood out to me, obviously, is the promise of fixes before new paid content. But the other is transparency. Like their sort of way of outlining the roadmap of fixes, their very sort of open way of discussing what was what had gone wrong and, and how they're going to address that is critically, I think, different from when we will take a look at uh, Pokemon. Um, and I think people really appreciated the the transparency. I certainly did because I was like waiting around for this game to be fixed before I played it. And you and I both played it after all of the fixes and had a, a really truly like amazing experience that turned us into like lifelong cyberpunk fans. So that like, era of transparency, I think was like so incredibly important for turning around like people's sentiment around this game. Yeah. In the moment, I think there was a feeling of like, well, talk is cheap. So I don't think people in hindsight, this statement is really substantial and important. I think in the moment people were just going to continue to be mad, which is fine. I think it's, it's reasonable to be upset until something tangible happens to this game that you've spent a lot of money on and look forward to. But, I mean, they really did hold themselves accountable to all the things that they said there. So, you know, and they, and they put out this graphic that, that has, in a, in a pretty detailed way, you know, for where they were at the time, the roadmap of all of the updates. And it was going to be a while until the big, big, big free next-gen update came out, which is what, that's when you and I started playing. Yeah. But you can count, like, there's like six or so different things that happened until then. So there was no guessing of, oh, is this the big one? Is this going to fix all of my problems? Like, no, you pretty clearly could know 
that patch 1.1 was not going to change your life. And again, yeah. that's very different from what Pokemon did. Yeah. So the next gen patch actually did not come out until February 2022. So over a year beyond when this first statement and roadmap came out, which is a long time. But, you know, that was significant. Like we said, that's when you and I jumped in on the game. That's when people started to say, okay, this is what this game really should have been. Um, and, and, you know, honestly on the consoles where it should have been in the first place. And, and yeah, it was a very clean experience for us. We didn't experience much, much in the way of jank or problems at all. Yeah. And I think that the important part is that because we knew what to expect, like we didn't even try to play the game or experience the game in like a half state. Cause we knew that, you know, in February, this next gen patch was going to be released and we would likely have a very positive experience. So I was actually like, at that point, I was like, all right, this game's janky, but I'm fine because I know what's happening. I'm fine to wait. And again, you and I had a very <laughs> positive experience. I don't think we experienced any issues. And like our, and that was our first experience with cyberpunk. So we were a bit both like, we're so in on this franchise because we didn't actually encounter some of those major issues in the beginning. So they didn't stop there. In September 2022, they released Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which is a really great animated series on Netflix. If you're at all interested in Cyberpunk, you should absolutely watch that because it's so super good. good. And then now, a year later, September 2023, they've released the 2.0 patch, which is just free for everybody, and the Phantom Liberty DLC. And again, you know, we have not had a chance to play it yet, but from what people say, the 2.0 patch kind of fundamentally changes what this game is and, and how it plays. And again, really makes it more close to the original vision of, of maybe what people were expecting from this game. So, I mean, we're talking about like almost a three year path to respectability and edge runners or excuse me, uh, phantom Liberty has 89 Metacritic. The game has now sold over 20 million copies and every time they did one of these big updates or activities, they would talk about how they saw this huge spike in sales. So I think there were just different types of people who were interested in the game, but were just waiting for the right moment to jump in. So it does kind of show how, if done the right way, this post-launch support can really be a significant way to keep boosting your sales. Yeah, I mean... I don't think it's um, – it's interesting because you can look at this as like because this game was so bad in the beginning, you've sort of been – they were sort of forced and we were sort of forced as players to like go along with them as they fixed and updated the game. But in a way, that has like lengthened the amount of time you're thinking about a game. Like nowadays, I feel like – everything is such a flash in the pan, as they say. And like, once you are out of that, like two week, sometimes even shorter launch window of a game, like people just move on to the next thing because there are too many things to to play. And there's too many things like, um, you know, battling for your time. But uh, ironically, because this game had such a rocky start and because they were forced into this like long roadmap of, of communicating to, to players like what to expect. And then obviously they did, they were very smart with, you know, their marketing and, and having um, edge runners um, as part of that roadmap. 
Um, but I kind of kept this game like weirdly top of mind for people because we were just like, like, you know, we couldn't, couldn't stop watching and following, following along. Um, and, and here we are yeah, to your point, like three years later, we're still thinking and interested and wanting to play and, and experience cyberpunk. Um, so yeah, I, I, ironically, I think maybe it kind of worked in their favor of keeping this like, you know, in people's minds, which is really interesting. Yeah. I wonder how they projected what the impact of all these updates would be, because there's definitely also a scenario where they could have just cut and run and been like, well, this one was a dud. We'll get it right next time. And, you know, they invested a lot of time and and resources into getting it right. So they probably had a feeling like we were saying, like people, people want this game. They're just not, they just don't want it in the state that it's in now. So that was kind of a gamble. I mean, it's probably an educated gamble on their part, but again, as we, you know, compare, compare to Pokemon, a lot more work, went into this game and a lot more effort. And now they've said, we've finished our work on this game. We're going to start moving on the next game and and other projects. So they really did see it through. And almost three years later, I think this, this kind of redemption story is really like underrated, like how nuts that first month when the launch came out and people like what this game is broken. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's like, I, I think this is like the darling story now where if you really commit to something and you believe in that, I, I think they have a belief that like this was something and they, they were right about that. Like we, after we all experienced the, the right versions of the game and then all that stuff, like we knew this was something special. Obviously they knew that too and, and took the risk to see it through to the end. But that's just like a good lesson that like you can do that. People will eventually forgive you and come around and stay with you if you do it right. Um, But it has like these significant, you need to like see through these significant things, like the transparency, like the taking the responsibility, like following through even no matter how long it takes. Like, I think those are the key sort of tenants for their success, turning this around. And, um, and like, yeah, it's, it's possible because who would have thought in, in December of 2020 that, this is the reality for the game, you know, three years later. So that's really, it's really incredible. Let's move on to Pokemon, which has uh, a little bit less of a happy ending. So Scarlet and Violet come out uh, almost a year ago, November, 2022, immediately widespread criticism for bugs and performance issues. I literally copied and pasted that line (laughs) from my (laughs) summary of cyberpunk for this one. Uh, They get a Metacritic out of the gate of 72, which is, quite a bit lower than Pokemon had been trending. Remember the last game? I mean, there was just um, Pokemon Legends Arceus earlier, uh, the same year. Fantastic game. I think we might have both had that as like number two on our favorite games of the year. Yep. Awesome, awesome reinvention of Pokemon. And then they went on to this. Um, On November 30th, so about a week after the game or or, or later that same month when the game first came out, they put out this tweet where they acknowledged issues uh, and that they're going to keep working on the game. So it says a software update for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet will be released on 12.1. Please visit our website for more information. We take the feedback from players seriously and will continue to work on improvements to the game. And there was sort of a more extended version of that that went on the website that actually said, we apologize. Uh So we know 
We know what it means when Nintendo says we apologize. That is a significant thing to have happen. A lot of people need to be comfortable with that. That that means a lot. So I think a lot of people, ourselves included, meant, okay, they're really going to commit to this kind of the same way they did with Cyberpunk. Mm -hmm. And they're going to iron this stuff out. It may not happen right away, but I feel confident that this stuff is going to get fixed. And that was the point where I paused playing the game. When I saw that tweet. Me too. And, yeah. And I, I had, you know, have been having not a great time. Like, I know that people will say like, oh, the, the bugs didn't affect their ability to love the game. But for me, it was a distraction. I didn't want to play it. And I, because I saw that tweet and, and the update on the website, I was like, oh, great. They're going to fix it. I'll just pause this game. And when they do fix it, I'll have a great experience and I'll go back to it. Guess what? I have not gone back to it because they haven't fixed it. So still broken, still broken. So they have released uh, several major patches since then that all, you know, address important things. But I think the major concern of, you know, just the general game performance has not really been fixed. And there's been no further communication from Nintendo or the Pokemon company either about what else is still planned. So unlike what happened with Cyberpunk, when a new patch comes out, people say, oh, is this the one? And, you know, Digital Foundry will do its thing. Game Explain will do its thing. And it's like, oh, there's this huge disappointment because it's not. Because they don't talk about it anymore. Yeah, the tr- this is, again, this is where the t- the paths have diverged because where um, Cyberpunk had such great transparency around what they were doing and when you can expect fixes and, and updates. We, I don't think we've heard anything since that first tweet. Um, and now it just feels like the, there's like, they've, they're kind of moved, moved on from any kind of fix and they've really kind of swept that initial apology and um, acknowledgement of some kind of fix, you know, under the rug. Um, so that's been really, Curious, like why? Why put out that? My point is like, okay, fine. If you don't want to fix it, no problem. The game is still selling great, obviously, and people love Pokemon. But why acknowledge it at all then, in the first place? Um, I just it, that's just so odd to me. We'll get into theory corner in a minute about what <laughs> happened. But you know, one one thing they haven't stopped talking about is how you should buy the new DLC for the game. Yeah, and that's releasing in two waves. The first wave just came out. Um, buying them together, you have to buy them together. It costs $35, so it's pretty significant. Expensive. Um, so the, the Metacritic for this first wave of DLC is 65, so it's not great. And people are talking about how it introduces, like the technical performance of that is even worse than the base game. And I've read, and I, again, this is not something that I'm playing because, again, I'm waiting for the base game to get fixed. But from people who have, fit, you know, completed the base game and moved on to this DLC, like you can really taste the palpable disappointment in the reviews where it's like they just haven't learned. It's getting worse. And now I'm increasingly concerned about the future of this franchise. So this is getting really bad. Yeah, exactly. I was so shocked to see this 65 Metacritic score for the DLC. I mean, that is way below even the worst, some of the worst Pokemon games. Um, And just like it feels icky. 
You know what I mean? Like it does not feel good to ask your fan base to pay for more content when you haven't addressed, um, you know, performance issues in the original game. And to even like knowingly put out DLC that introduces more performance issues, it just doesn't feel good. It feels gross. Um, So yeah, again, I'm just like very confused about why acknowledge and say anything at all if this is going to be the future for this game? Why string people along and then like why just basically sweep all of it under the rug? Well, I kind of feel like they're learning the hard way because this DLC really feels like it came and went without any fanfare at all. And I know there's another half of it that's coming before the end of the year that they're saying, but this was not like a big deal among you know people beyond like hardcore Pokemon players who will who will you know play play anything Pokemon. This felt like it was a dud versus Cyberpunk, which has been a huge, huge moment that's like standing tall with these big heavy hitters. And yeah, I agree. The move to release this without fully fixing the issues kind of feels like, whoa, surely people have forgotten about that. Surely they'll buy the they'll just if we just stop talking about it, they'll still buy the DLC. Yeah. So there is something a little bit a little bit scummy about it that I don't like. Yeah. Exactly. The icky feeling is is definitely there. It's very strange. And then the big counter is, you know, again, with Cyberpunk, you had the message where there were like names attached to it saying, yes, we did this. We screwed up. Please put all the blame on us versus just a blank tweet from Nintendo of America where it's like, we take the feedback seriously. That's like (laughs) such a night and day approach to like we're gonna kind of talk in circles and maybe you'll understand what we're trying to say here versus like pointing the finger at yourself like hate me yeah and we've worked that's on gonna num- get memed <laughs> don't get memed don't get canceled um, <laughs> hate me. um i feel like we've we've worked at you know when we were at nintendo we've worked on a number of these types of statements before as well around you know player feedback or um issues or whatever. And it is sort of like a circular discussion that you get into, especially with the leadership where because Nintendo has such like a, we don't put one person or an individual or even a a small group of individuals, like we couldn't even put the development team above or below anything else. It just feels so like, what's the word? Like not agnostic, but just like bland, I guess, because there's nothing, there's no like human connection. Like there's no human connection when something good happens. There's no human connection when something bad happens. So you're just like, you feel like you're kind of like talking to this like brick wall um, or you're getting feedback from this like robotic thing. And I think that's what this has felt like um, with all of these Pokemon issues. Whereas for Cyberpunk, you really do feel like, okay, there's actual people and humans on the other end of this, they are also feeling really bad about what happened as bad as the players are feeling about, you know, their just disappointment is like felt on two ends. So I think it makes it more like palatable, you know, cause you're like, I'm connecting with another human uh, on, on this thing. Whereas you just feel like you're, you're kind of talking to like nothing. Um, the other thing that's that's really concerning is something that you were saying before is like, what does this mean for the future of Pokemon? Because we're both huge Pokemon fans. I really want, you know, this franchise to succeed forever into the future. And I'm concerned that because 
there hasn't been like a lot of responsibility in, in taking these issues seriously that it means that this franchise won't succeed. And that makes me really sad and worried. So I really do hope that that's not the case and they're able to learn something from this. Um, but I get, you know, I get really concerned because this game sold like 30 million copies in its broken state. So it's kind of like you're giving somebody negative reinforcement. It's like, oh, people will buy anything. So I don't care. I'm just going to, I'm not going to try, you know? And um, that that scares me because I, I don't want one of my favorite franchises to like fail because of that. Um, and I, I get increasingly concerned that they just don't seem to care at all because the game is still selling so, so well and they're making like, money so like they're making so much money that like they're just like whatever um and that's scary yeah and it's not like cyberpunk is the only example of being able to turn a game around i sort of asked our community for for any other examples and they came up with a couple really good ones i think final fantasy 14 is the biggest example where you have like an mmo that was like headed straight for the dumpster and they made it into a huge hit that is like the biggest mmo now uh, no Man's Sky had a big turnaround. Battlefield 4 had a big turnaround. So it is it is possible. It's not like this is this impossible task, especially for a company the size of Nintendo, to really hunker down and fix their biggest game of the year. So let's get into Theory Corner, Conspiracy Corner, whatever you've got. Why did this happen to Pokemon? I really think it's because, what. well, I have several reasons. One is because they just are on this, like, stupid self-imposed schedule of like, we got to release a Pokemon game every November. And like, it really started to catch up to them. Like, it's one of those things where like, if you don't sleep, if you're like, like losing sleep or something, or like you haven't caught up on your sleep, eventually you're going to be really tired and get really sick. Like that's exactly what happened to them because they were like on the same, like stupid, ridiculous self-imposed schedule for so many years. Like it finally caught up to them and they, they failed. Um, but then the, the thing that, again, the thing that really concerns me is that the game sold so well. Like, I, I wish that the game didn't sell so well because, and this is not to, to wish, like, bad things for them. I just wish that there was, like, some kind of realization. Um, and, and the biggest realization you can give to a company in a business is, like, don't pay them. <laughs> you know, obviously. I wish there was some kind of, like, consequence to having this as like the bar for Pokemon games. Cause I, I, now I'm very concerned that the bar is like super low, you know? Well, I think a lot of people will be more careful, whereas they may have, you know, pre-ordered or been day one, just like no questions asked of buying a new Pokemon game. I think a lot of people now are going to be like, I'm going to do my research and see if this game is busted before I go ahead and buy this. So it may be a delayed, reaction but this does feel like people are pretty burned on this i agree with what you were saying i feel like the real answer is kind of a, a layered thing of like several things stacked onto each other i mean it's like we know we know game freak we know the people at game freak very well they're very talented developers but i do think they grew too fast and bit off more than they can chew like look at what they were making you know 10 years ago they were making cute little 3ds games that barely had like you know rubbing rubbing these polygons together <laughs> so for them to like for so for you to tell them like oh yeah now you have to make like a full like giant scale open world you know with modern level graphics it's like that's i just don't think they had the support so i think that's a failing on a number of different levels of 
you just expected them to do this like with no problem. Like I look at, you know, Call of Duty and Call of Duty's got its own problems, but they basically have three dedicated studios who rotate through making those games. In addition, they basically changed every other studio in Activision into a support studio for Call of Duty. So it's like, no questions asked. We have so many people that we can throw at Call of Duty and to, to crank these things out annually. Versus it's like, Game Freak, make a game every year with the like couple people you have and just like just figure it out. So it's kind of a nightmare situation. I really feel bad for them because that's completely out of their control in a lot yeah. of ways, what they're being told to do. So the other thing that I do ask myself is, you know, with again, with that initial tweet, like they did seem to give people some sense of security of like, yeah, this is going to be fixed. I wonder if it was just once they actually got under the hood, they were like, oh, yeah, we're not going to be able to fix this. this. It's just too much of a mess. And I've seen people saying like, well, what if they brought in Monolith Soft or any of the really like technically oriented Nintendo studios? And I, I, I don't know. I'm not a technical person. I don't know. But it may have just been in such poor it's such a poor state that it just like unless you're going to build rebuild the game from nothing it may not have been possible so maybe what they're releasing is what they can actually do it would be nice again for any transparency at all to give some sort of an update like do you still plan to fix these these awful performance issues um that we are still getting and and are, are getting worse in the dlc we'll never know that's the thing. We will never know. People will still yeah. be waiting, I'm sure, years and years from now. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. This is the one. <laughs> but it's probably <laughs> not. <laughs> I, I do also have, like, a yucky theory where it's like they went, oh. you know, they basically did that same thing you said. They put out the tweet. They got under the hood. They looked at the game and they said, oh, gosh, it's going to take X number of resources and X amount of time to fix these issues. So, hey, executive person, you have to choose either we fix them or we concentrate on releasing the DLC. And they're like, no, don't fix these issues. We already sold 30 million copies. I need you to make more money. Release the DLC. And they were like, okay. So it's all about, you know, the bottom line, as they say. And if that's the case and they basically just – like we're money grubbing and and base and, and and prioritizing that over, you know, trust with your community and trust with your fans and, you know, uh, the the sort of the future of the franchise. Then that's really bad. And I hope that that's not true. But that would be a really really bad decision um, if if someone at the head of that company is is making that call. Well, there's no reason why this DLC couldn't have come out in like Q1 because there are no future Pokemon projects that we know of. There's like not some next hot thing that's been announced for Q1 where it's like, hey, we got to get this out before then. That's happened before. That happened very recently. Um, unless, you know, again, if you, again, getting into conspiracy corner, it's like, well, they're going to be announcing the Switch 2 early and early next year. So yeah. so the, the demand and interest in this current Switch stuff is going to tank. So we got to do it now. That's where we start getting into real, you know, tinfoil hat uh, territory. But yeah, like, like I was saying, I think the truth is probably a combination of all of these things. And yes, they, they found themselves in a very difficult situation, but, you know, it, it's a situation they got themselves in. And I think the fans deserve better. 
And unfortunately, Pokemon's in a position now where it's hard to keep track of all of their problems. Like they just had this like disgusting situation at that Van Gogh museum <gasps> where like, oh, I could yeah. not cringe hard enough. Well, these people so were just like bad. swarming this museum to get these cards. It's like, this is why people think people who play video games are losers. Stuff like this. Like, I, oh, I'm going to go have a classy day at the Van Gogh museum. But these people are just like going nutso trying to get these these Pikachu cards. Like, this is a bad look. For, for yeah. all of us, not just Pokemon. Yeah, that was terrible. So. That was a bad look for the industry. Anyhow, I think we should stop Conspiracy Corner because we don't know. <laughs> we, we're just working ourselves up and we don't know the truth and we will never it's know the though. truth. It's very fun, but also is making me a little bit mad. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, like we never, we'll never know. We will not be playing the DLC. We will be playing Cyberpunk. <laughs> um, so there's the conclusion of that. Yes. Fine, fine. We'll move on. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Pretty Litter. How's that for a palate cleanse? Oh boy. New sponsor. Ring the bell. Thank you, Pretty Litter. When your cat is healthy, he or she is happy, and that will make you happy. But since you're not a mind reader, you don't always know when he or she is unwell. Helping keep tabs on your cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. I am a Pretty Litter user. Or I was. My, my poor cat has since passed this year. But before she did, I was a pretty litter user. And um, I, you know, the, 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 there's a yuckiness, obviously, to this part of having a pet. But pretty litter really does make it, like, as unyucky as possible. And I think that they have a lot of really great things to help minimize mess. Um, this, like, crystal base that they have is really good for absorbing odors. Um you know, and, 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 and smell and, uh, it changes color so you can monitor your cat's illness. Um, so I am a pretty litter advocate and I think anyone with a cat should definitely use this. The color changing thing is really interesting and seems very futuristic because, you know, it can help you catch a health issue like a kidney issue or a urinary tract infection before it becomes a real problem. Yeah. And uh, I am also a, a cat owner from from earlier in my life. And that was something that was not you didn't have that then. And it was like, you know, it seems like kitty litter has has completely gone futuristic with with what pretty litter is offering. here. Absolutely. And yeah, that's the thing with owning a pet. Like they cannot talk to you. So you have to have other ways to keep tabs on their health. And any way that I have to keep my beloved um, fur babies happy and healthy I'm going to take it. So thanks to Pretty Litter, I'm, I'm definitely able to do that with, with my cat. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on your cat's health and keep odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash kittenkrista and use code kittenkrista to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash kittenkrista, code kittenkrista to save 20%. Prettylitter.com slash kittenkrista, code kittenkrista. Put the link right over here. And also in the description below. All right. It's time for the news. Some pretty big news has been hitting the last couple days and the last week. i got to start with this big bombshell that old Jim Ryan of Sony is stepping down and retiring. This, this one really came out of nowhere and surprised people. Yeah, it really did. It kind of had like a Reggie retirement feeling to it where he was just like, I'm ready to stop. <laughs> I've done the thing and I'm ready to stop. And and it sounds like he had a very like sort of like a normal life reason for retiring, which is 
that he lives in the UK and the schedule was like insane and he had to travel all around to like to like do his job and it was really taking a toll on him. So yeah, I kind of like I was definitely shocked by this, but I like when people, you know, prioritize their health and well-being and and life over work. So I respect that, you know, that he did this. Like he was like, yeah, I, I honestly can't do this anymore and I'm going to I'm going to stop. So um yeah, definitely a shock, but I, I like the real, the real like human reason <laughs> that he had for retiring. Yeah, I had a hard time knowing what to make of him for a while because he did come across as, you know, the hard charging business executive. I'm going to do anything at all costs to make, you know, PlayStation number one. I'm going to be pouring coffee on my cold, dead heart first thing in the morning. But yeah, this is a super real reason for for retiring and moving on. And it really made me appreciate him. Um, you know, the joke that I made was like, wow, it seemed like Jim Ryan wasn't super happy when uh, he had to go back into the office after doing a great job working remote. <laughs> that's something that's very relatable. Because, yeah. you know, in the heat of the pandemic, they were putting out the PS5 and selling out and you know, they didn't miss a beat. They were breaking records and, and selling out. So it is, um, you know, one of those things where this is kind of a revolving door, this position that is the head of PlayStation. I do think that's one thing that's different from what Nintendo or Microsoft has had is like every couple of years, it does seem like there's somebody new in this role. So I, for that reason, I don't, feel like it's going to necessarily come with these big sweeping changes. Yeah. This does seem to have been an unexpected departure because in part of their big statement, they don't have a next person figured out. And they said, um, you know, kind of the overall Sony leadership is going to step in while they do the search and, and help to get this new person up to speed. So they may have been caught by surprise. You know, when Reggie left, we said very clearly, yes, Doug Bowser, is the next guy. And we did a lot of work to, in the time that Reggie had left, get Doug feeling comfortable in that new role, really put him out there as, you know, nobody's going to replace Reggie, but the new kind of head of the company. So th that, that is sort of an unexpected wrinkle of this for them to, to have this kind of game of succession while you're still trying to run a business. And that's certainly not easy. Yeah, this whole transition thing is always hard. And I think being caught off guard is is definitely the feeling I'm getting as well, especially when it's like the COO and CFO from Sony General taking over. It's like they might not have the, you know, the the finger on the pulse of what's going on with the specific, you know, PlayStation section of this, of their business. So um, I hope that it doesn't mean like some kind of, you know, that we'll feel as fans like some kind of like limited support or, or something like that. Um, and, and they can find somebody quickly to sort of keep everything going in the right direction. Cause they are having, you know, Sony's doing pretty well. So it would be, be kind of unfortunate if it took like a weird turn because of the unexpected departure of, of Jim Ryan. So, but yes, I think that uh, he also says that he's been there for 30 years that is such a long time to be in one place. Like I, I definitely, we were feeling it, I think in our, you know, 13th and 14th year. Um, and that's like double that. <laughs> so I can imagine like, he's like, I need to have a change of pace. I need to have a change. 
Um, and I, I totally understand that. So, so yeah, best of luck to, to Jim Ryan and his retirement. But yeah, he was saying that he was basically living out of a suitcase where, you know, he lived in the UK and the Sony headquarters was in, you know, it was down the street from us in California. And then he also had to spend a lot of time at Sony headquarters in Tokyo and that can drag you down. And honestly, you know, we visited, we did a video where we went to all these big companies, you know, the, the Sony, the PlayStation headquarters is cool, but it's, it's across the street from a target and an armadillo willy. So it's not like some great glamorous place to live or hang out. Like I'm pretty sure I knew, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I know the corporate housing where Jim Ryan was living and it's not glamorous. So uh. I could see him getting sick of this after a while, after his 19th, you know, red eye to, to come to, <laughs> Sony Foster City. It's also like two opposite, like two equally long flights, like from the UK to just just go around the world. You basically have to go literally around the globe, which sounds terrible if you have to do it all the time. Like, oh my gosh, that's sounds exhausting. Mr. Iwata was also on this schedule, and we don't know how he did it. We recognize this as being exhausting. It did not seem to get to him. Like he seemed always in good spirits, able to get all of his work done. Um, obviously, I'm sure there is some toll that just came with that. And I'm sure inside, you know, he may have felt tired, but he did not He did not give up, you know, the vibe that Jim Ryan was saying where he was just perpetually cranky. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Iwata was some kind of like, I don't know, like- Built other, different, as they say. Otherworldly creature or something. Because, <laughs> yeah, every time he'd show up- um, you know, at our office in, in California, uh, or, or if we saw, you know, saw him, you know, in Los Angeles for E3, he was always very chipper and seemed to be very well rested. But I can't imagine that is good for you. And, you know, I'm sure there is some kind of toll that is taken on your body and, and your, your health and your, you know, physical and mental health that is not good. So, um, so again, I really respect him for having a human reason to do, to, to retiring. And hopefully that means he can you know, prioritize his, his health and well-being. Second story today, I think, is um, a story that came out of an interview from Tokyo Game Show where the head of Capcom, Mr. Tsujimoto, was talking about how he was feeling that the price of video games is too low. So I'll just read the quote before we dig into this. Development costs are about 100 times higher than during the Famicom era, but software prices have not gone up that much. There is also a need to raise wages. Considering the fact that wages are rising in the industry as a whole, I think raising unit prices is a healthy option for business. Um, yeah, I think we've been talking about this for quite a long time. And and we, you know, obviously we were talking about this a lot with the $70 breath of, uh, Tears of the Kingdom game and all that. But it does not, it, it's true. It doesn't seem to be matched correctly right now where you know, the, the cost of development as, as well as the length of time now that it takes to develop something like is not proportionate to the price of games and the wages people are being paid. So while I, as a consumer, am a little bit like, man, I don't want to pay more. I also kind of get it. And if we want the, you know, if we want to want to keep playing good games and we want to keep the industry like strong and healthy and, and continue to support development um, for games, then like, I guess that's the reality. There was also this follow-up tweet from Sean Layden, who interestingly had Jim Ryan's job before Jim Ryan. 
and um, bailed on that. He said, or development costs are too high. Both? Something has got to give. The center cannot hold. So you want to talk about a company that's familiar with skyrocketing development costs. It's going to be Sony with all of the big games that they're just putting out nonstop. And yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it feels like it's not sustainable in the wrong, long run. We've, we've said that, you know, a worst case scenario is like a company going out of business because they sink all their eggs in one basket and the game's a bomb. Maybe, maybe one of these companies who's currently in this, you know, triple a mega expensive games lane says we're getting out of this and we're still going to make good games, but they're going to be more reasonable in scope. We're not going to keep going down this path of everything has to be bigger and better, like photorealistic graphics. We're going to get out of this while we still can. That's another scenario that I think would be very big for the industry because I feel like other people might follow their lead if somebody could be brave enough to say, yeah, not for me. And I'm, and I'm not talking about Nintendo because obviously they're on their own path, but I'm, I'm talking about mostly developers making stuff for, for PC, PS5, and, and Xbox right now. Yeah, I think that right now you're in this like weird um, cycle, this competitive cycle like of one-upping how, how much bigger your game can be. It's like, oh, you made an open world game? Oh, I'm going to make a bigger open world game. Oh, you made a game that's like this graphically intense? Well, we're going to do these 10 things to make it even more like realistic or, or we're going to do all, all these other things to make it, you know, feel more significant. And I think that kind of like, competition within sort of these these companies and and for the type of games that um, are being made is kind of unhealthy because it kind of limits you from thinking outside that box that you're now feel you feel like you're trapped and you're like well if I don't make a game that's bigger and better than said game before then we will fail Um, which may not be the case you could just zag in the other direction you know and, and do something completely different but yeah someone has to have like sort of the courage, I think, to do that and get out of this like competitive loop that I feel like we're definitely a little bit stuck in right now. And when we talk about this a lot with some of the big, you know, open world games that we have, it's like, I don't even have time to play all the stuff that you jammed into this game. Like, just give me the smaller experience. Like, I'm totally good with that, but don't know why that that's not the priority. Totally. That's the news. Let's get into some questions from our community. We've got a great handful of those for this week. Let's get started with Gartooth, who asks, why do you think the Mario movie's title is the Super Mario Brothers movie and not just Super Mario Brothers? Could this be tied into the same reason we hear Nintendo pronounce their games like the Super Mario Brothers Wonder Game, or do you think these are not related? I think they're definitely related. Um, Nintendo is very... You don't think so? I think so. Nintendo is very specific about, like, the legal way of protecting your IP. So, like, their whole thing is, like, you can't say just, like, you can't abbreviate it to, like, Mario Brothers or Mario Bros or Super Mario when you're talking about a specific game because that devalues your brand. Um, that was something that was drilled into us to a ridiculous degree when we were at Nintendo. I also think that for the specific example that you call out with a Mario movie, they don't want it to be confused with a Mario game, like because they're very different things and they have a very established brand with the Super Mario Brothers series, like the game series. I think they're trying very careful, 
to be very careful about making sure the movie is the movie and the game is the game and there's no like confusion between the two. I think that's the reason. I think, you know, the, the thing about the, the legally, you know, keeping keeping the trademark and all of that, like the games are not called the Super Mario Brothers game. Uh, that's something that you have to do in all your materials to to kind of meet that need legally. So, yeah, I think it is just, you know, the, the series has been known for games for 30 plus years now and just wanting to be extra clear of like, yeah, this is a new thing that we're doing. It's a movie. And I do think it's kind of a clunky name. I don't love it. But I think the next one will be something different now that they've established. Yeah, we do movies and this one made a billion dollars. We can we can come up with more creative uh, names than just the movie. It's going to be so long. The next movie is going to be like the Super Mario Brothers movie colon Yoshi's Great Adventure in in the Mushroom Kingdom. Something. It's going to be like the longest <laughs> subtitled name ever. Mark my words. That's what's going to happen. Next question is from Shrews. Here's a question. I recently got back into playing Mario Maker to get prepared for Mario Wonder. Did Nintendo ever think about making other IP into Maker games such as Zelda Pikmin or Metroid? I feel like a 2D Zelda dungeon maker would be a hit, especially considering it was touched upon in the Link's Awakening remake. Yeah, we used to get this question all the time for the Mario Maker devs. Like everybody, every media person would always ask during an interview, like what other franchises have you considered for um, the sort of the Mario Maker uh, or the Maker formula? And they've always not like, they've been very sort of, this is, you know, non-committal towards other franchises. Like this is a Mario Maker game. We're only focused on the the one Mario Maker game. Um, I don't think that Nintendo is like seriously considering any other Maker's games. They do have that, you know, that whole, we're very protective over IP. So if you want to do it in a way, it has to be like very controlled. And I think um, that's, a barrier and a challenge that the Mario Maker team was able to overcome in a very specific way that's probably pretty hard for some of these other franchises. So I wouldn't be holding your breath for like a Zelda Maker game is my point. I agree. And I think the, you know, what was in Link's Awakening was super limited, but I think it was a good example of why we probably won't get that in that it's just not as ubiquitous a style of gameplay and not something that anybody can just pick up and understand because there's like this whole aspect of puzzles and creating a dungeon. And also like a Zelda game is not just dungeons. So there's kind of overworld underworld. It starts to get a little complicated versus just, Hey, a Mario level. Everybody knows what that is. Everybody can play it. It's very, it's very easy to play. You know, it's just 2d. So it's, it's not too taxing for people who are, you know, not game design whizzes to figure it out. There just there just aren't a lot of series where it's that simple and straightforward. Not to mention the biggest gaming series that Nintendo has. Period. So I remain a little bit pessimistic that they would dip their toe into something like that because, as we saw with the second one, like there's parts of that that even they struggled with. So when you start to get into a more complex series, the wheels can start to fall off pretty easy. Small Snorlax is next. Hey, Kit and Krista, during the launch of the new 3DS systems in North America, we only got the new 3DS XL at first. It wasn't until later that we got the standard size new 3DS system. What was going on at the time? What was the reasoning behind this decision? Nobody in America has good eyesight. Just kidding. (laughs) That's not the reason. Um, (laughs) uh, I think it was because when we were launching 3DS XL, not the new one, but the original, that was the best-selling one in the U.S. Like, 
the XL version of the 3DS was by far the better selling system. So when they when we launched the new 3DS XL, it was like, oh, okay, this is the the model and the SKU that the um, you know U.S. population or whatever has gravitated towards. So we'll just do this one first because um, I think it like way outsold the other one um, in in our region. Yeah, and and also the retail situation here is much different than it is in Japan and. You know, there's only so much space that you get on a shelf. So with that system, you had the system itself plus all of those face plates. And I think there was maybe a bit of concern around how are we actually going to sell all of these things? Because there were a lot of different face plates that you could get. But then also, I think there was just some concern about potential confusion of like how many models of 3DS do we need to have on the market, like, are we making this harder on ourselves than it needs to be? So like you were saying, the the XL was, you know, the really popular version of it here. So I think that was the right decision to really emphasize that. And I know for myself, like the 3DS really went up a level when that XL came out. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like such a better experience than the tiny yeah. screen that we had before. So I think there's just a lot of differences between Japan and, and the US, um, you know, that go beyond just, you know, what people like to play, but just how it's sold also that made it very complicated for us to bring that out. Zroid has the last question. Nintendo is currently undergoing massive growth in their workforce, at least in Japan. I feel this was much needed as they have had to do a great deal of outsourcing in recent years to maintain a certain level of output. Outsourcing is fine, of course, but I think we all feel that Nintendo has the resources to do a greater portion of its development in-house and they just haven't been leveraging it. So on this topic, I know you two have spoken of Nintendo's relatively modest workforce for a company of its reach. Could you share some insight into why you think they have operated like this for so long? Is it simply a matter of minimizing costs? This would be disappointing. Or are there more nuanced reasons for their approach, which outsiders would not be privy to? Well, I think in general, Japanese companies are very lean. Like they actually created that like lean model thing um, that I think a lot of like companies use. Um, so that's just their sort of that's in a Japanese company's DNA is to be very controlled in terms of their workforce, be very, um, you know, ha- have that kind of model where a lot one person wears many has many roles, uh, wears many hats or whatever you want to call it. Um for their workforce. Um, but yeah, I agree. You know, we, we weren't really privy to the hiring practices on the development side. Um, but certainly on the, you know, Nintendo of America side that, that workforce really hasn't grown too much. Um, since we've been there for the, the amount of time that we've been there, I think it's more been reshuffling current team members versus massive hiring. And it's such a, it's a huge contrast to like tech companies, um, that were in our area that would just like hire, you know, 10 to 30,000 people (laughs) like in a year, you know, Nintendo hired like four in a year. So that was really kind of eye opening. Um, But yeah, I agree. I think that uh, especially on the development side, it's great to see that there is some growth and, and there is some, some focused on bringing some of that, you know, in house. And, and we talk a lot about like, 
the way you learn how to be how to be Nintendo, how to Nintendo is by sitting in that office with all of those other people that have been at Nintendo for like 30 plus years. Like if you are a 20 year old developer that just came out of college, the way to learn the magic is to sit next to Miyamoto and absorb. So if they are focused on doing that and training up this new generation of developers as this older generation is will eventually retire, then I think that's great. Yeah, one thing we didn't talk about in the news this week was <clears throat> this awful spate of, of layoffs that happened this week with Epic being at the front of that. And their CEO even came out and said, like, yeah, we've been spending way more money than we've been making. And they were obviously growing really fast. And that was a big gamble for them. And obviously it didn't pay off. So they had to lay off all these people. And I think that's something that Nintendo just never wants to do or has to do, because I think it realizes there would be a lot of devastating effects within the company um, if that were to happen. So they're just extremely cautious and careful about any sort of expansion. And it's something that in the moment can be frustrating because it's like, gosh, I got so much work to do. Like, why can't we just hire some people to do it? But when you sit down and look at, you know, the ups and downs of the nature of the industry, it does make sense. So I, I think it's something that they'll continue to do. And again, people can criticize it, but it, it has paid off for them so far. We do know they're building this new development center, so they're going to keep expanding that. That's smart. Maybe in those other areas, they'll continue to be pretty tight. Yeah. All right. It's time to shout out some great Patreon subscribers, starting with our superstars. Yay. I'm going to go first. Here we go. Aaron Hash. Ben Icorn. Maru Mayhem. Eigenverse, Kiss My Flapjack, Mike Chin, Roy Eschke, Switching It Up, Underscore, and Zafazon! My turn! BGM Life, Link, the Hero of Winds, Angela Bycroft, Turbocharge Nerd, Thomas O'Rourke, Kyle LaBeouf, Roberto Nieves, Simon, Frederick Ulf Conradson, Andrew Juhas, Chili, Brew Stash, and Rain Tech. Two things. You forgot Molly, so shout out to Molly. Number two, welcome to the newest superstar, Roberto. Woohoo! Roberto Nieves, welcome. That's yes, right. Very exciting. Um, all right, here comes the One Up Club graduation service A Ron Burgundy, Ali Alejandro, Alexandra Pratt, Astro Def, Awesome 4T6. Bad Moon Horizon, Ben GB, Blue Yellow Gray, Bookum Dano, Bookishly Fab, Brad SF56, Brooke Obscura, Brookie Kazooie, Chelly Squirrel, Christopher Lay, Captain Alex, Crimcat, Sea Roper 17, Dachshund, Doinko, Dolce, Dino Punch, Elite Peach, Esparts 50, Fart Priest 69, Furbound, Ferning and Jess Forever, Fox Deploy, Garrett Hallfish, Garth the Wolf, Gartooth, G-Sun 101, Heroic, Iris Marin, Jay Rando, Jabroni Jones, Jeffrey Hernandez, Jerry 92602, Jesse Hernandez, John Responte, Jonathan Rowe, Jordan Collette, Jordan Hemmerly, Joshua Clements, Juji Fruit, Jess Camtro, Justin Leminger, Kawa 2796, Keith Kwan, 
Kevin Delane, Kilo Kibo, Chris Yu, Chris Chris Kid, and Christopia Party with me. Kyle Gamer Barry Rookie, Kyle Kretzer, Kyler Nelson, Lanell Stickman, Lit, Luminous, Luca Rooney, Mad Dog Five Nine Eight One, Magnificent Easy G and Callie Marie, Marky Man Sixty Four, Mecha Dragon One Hundred One, Megan, Michael Cravens, Mikey, Motomania, Mister Andy Pong, Mister Beans and Dip, MSM Pokey Gamer, Mytran, Nasir, Nameless Hero, Nathan Burkhart. Nick E, Ninja Eleven, Panda Buns, Pangy, Palsy Pace, Paul Gale Network, Pillamer, Prime Factor, Prince Charmless, Reaver, Renee Rivers, Ryath One, Rob Osborne, Rocks, Rayonetta, Cipher A, Sharif Jackson, Sheer Cold Vanille, Shinryu, Slowbro, Silly Ferret, SJ Sharky Seven Seven Seven, Snazzle. Spicy Munchkin, Steel Citrone, Sunny Gaduru, Terra Storm, The Shark Among Men, Thomas Alvarez, Three Rivers, Topher Schmofer, Travis Torline, Tugs Puppy Bear, Tusku, Tyler Goosey, Vesfes, Video Game Stupid, Viridian, Virtual Bot, Weep Kingdom, WG Grizzy, Wicked Davy, Will Johnson, Zudaverf, Zelgarith, Zapati, and Zroid. <laughs> you forgot the TM on Tyler Goosey. Legal would not be happy with you. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, the TM. They're going to throw the book at me for they Tyler are. Goosey. The Tyler Goosey game, TM. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, how exciting. We've reached the end of this wonderful podcast. Next week, we will be back in person within striking distance of each other. We don't know what will happen. It's going to be great. The score is going to get settled finally. Pow! It's going to get settled. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready. Um, But yes, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon. We are patreon.com slash Kit and Krista to support everything that you see here on this channel. If you're watching on video, you can subscribe to this channel. Give this video a thumbs up and also leave us a comment. If you happen to listen on audio, you can also subscribe. Give us a five-star review and also leave a written review as well, if you please. Thank you. And we're on the socials and we're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, and Threads. We're still on Threads, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I haven't looked in many weeks. <laughs> what a silly question. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.